0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And one of my favorite shows because I've got a Colonel on, Lieutenant Colonel Phil Forsberg on. And uh, Phil is so kind to do our Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm show and because it is a veteran related show, we always start those with a silent prayer. So we'll begin with Phil momentarily. And ask you to join us in a silent prayer for our veterans, our homeless veterans, and those that have given the ultimate sacrifice. thank everybody for joining us in prayer and thinking about our veterans and I always think about, well I think about our veterans all the time but there is a particular time that it comes to pass is when, uh, like the other night, wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and it's raining like crazy and I think about the 1 out of 4 homeless that are veterans and it just really drives me crazy that we have veterans on our streets and uh sleeping in the cold, sleeping in, you know, when it's wet, or trying to sleep, I just, quite frankly, I can't imagine it. But anyway, that's why we do what we do. And if you know a veteran that needs help, let us know, and uh, we'll see what we can do to help that veteran or if... uh yeah. It's a family member or something like that. Just just let us know that we can't do anything if we don't know about it. So we'll go from there. With that being said, the other thing that we'd like to do is start every show with a cadence call. And this isn't really a cadence call. It's just as much as it was that it was used many times, particularly back in uh, during World War II. So... Okay, well, I figure that's about enough of Tiny Bubbles, and uh, I was thinking it was the song they were going to do. I, I honestly hadn't heard it before. But anyway, gets the point across, and we all know how important those Jodies are when you're trying to finish up that last half mile. And you're in a forced march, and you got the heavy rut on, and uh, there you go. So, with that being said, Phil, how are you doing today?
2: I'm well, David. I'm glad to be here. I hope you're well, and I hope our listeners are well.
1: Absolutely, uh-huh. and uh, I uh, hope that we can soon be back to whatever normal normal is, you know. But I guess we're all getting there slowly but surely. And uh, this this star this show is de- dedicated to those that served in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and we don't want any war, or any engagement to be forgotten, and it's a shame, but in many ways, Desert Shield and Desert Storm have been forgotten, which I find, you know, it was 30 years ago, but to me, it was just like yesterday. How about you, Phil?
2: Well, yeah, time slips away. Uh, it doesn't seem that long ago, but uh, yep, yeah, it's uh, over 30 years now. In fact, uh, I was getting ready to go home uh, 30 years ago today.
1: Ah, well, and that had to be had to have a big smile on your face, huh? <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, it was uh, it was quite a trip, uh, you know. And we didn't know where we would go. I I got to be on the advance party going back, so uh, I told them. As soon as we could go back, I'd go. We, have, uh, we ferried our aircraft over there from the States and we were gonna ferry them back. And uh, I took the main body of our company. Uh, I was the acting commander, took the main body over there. And uh, so the company commander said to me, well, you, you know, you didn't get to ferry one of the aircraft over, so you know, it's your choice if you want to ferry one back. I just told him, if I if getting me if if ferrying an aircraft back to the states, it gets me there one minute sooner. I'll do it. Otherwise, put me on an air force plane or whatever you got. So I went back uh, with the advance party.
1: Ah, on the big plane.
2: On the big plane. Yeah, it was a uh, Air Force C one forty one B. Star lifter. It's a very loud airplane. Uh, especially on the inside.
1: Hmm. <laughs> the insulation was missing, huh?
2: <laughs> well, it's older technology. Um, and uh, I actually have two jumps from a C-141. Uh, the rest of my jumps are from a uh, C-130. Hmm. But uh, yeah, Um yeah, kind of a loud airplane.
1: Did it? Uh, did it have the like the uh, fold down? I don't want to say tail, but fold down uh, ramp in the back or fold out?
2: Uh, I can't remember if the one forty one had a roll on roll off uh, type of thing in the back. Uh, it, I, it probably did, but it didn't have the nose that lifted up like a C five. Um, but the uh, yeah, and of course the seats that we had were what they called uh, their comfort (laughs) pallet, is basically some uh, outdated uh, airline seats, uh, uh, more like bus seats, kind of bolted to the floor in a big uh, configuration. No windows were looking out, and. There's uh, we are just aft facing the whole time uh, so it was uh, it was like being in a sardine can a loud <laughs> sardine can for several hours we stopped well we took off from I think from uh, Dahran Air Base went to uh, from there to somewhere in England and uh, then they switched crews and we went to from England over to McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey, and then from McGuire, we went uh, to Robert Gray Army Airfield, Fort Hood, Texas.
1: Fort Hood, Texas. How familiar I am with that! But let me <laughs> ask you something: As soon as you landed, landed in New Jersey, before you went to Fort Hood, how big a yell went up in that uh, 141 when you when you landed on uh, American soil?
2: You know you might have thought it would be a lot uh I don't think we could have even uh heard each other yell it was so loud in there but uh I think we were just pretty much exhausted you know we had just finished two very long flights um and uh, in between we got to sit uh basically sequestered in a little terminal uh because we didn't have any immigration paperwork for uh going into England, so we just had to sit up like a holding tank. It was Easter Sunday morning. Uh, there was... Uh, if you had some British coins, you could buy some biscuits or crisps in the uh, vending machine, which, of course, we didn't have any uh, British money. There was uh, children's cartoons on a television monitor. Hmm. We just sat there for about three or four hours before the Air Force uh sent a new crew out. Uh, so we uh we were we were pretty exhausted, you know.
1: Right. Was was there uh, a USO operation in that air airport at all? Uh,
2: there was not. In fact it was Easter Sunday morning when we got to McGuire Air Force Base and uh or maybe right around noon. Um so it was uh it was just us and the crickets (laughs) there was a uh, back in those days people used to use tractor feed uh, uh, paper Um, some of your younger listeners could probably research and see what tractor feed paper was but they used to make banners out of it somebody had made a banner that said you know welcome home 621st tactical fighter group or something like that and of course that was kind of dangling by one piece of tape off of the wall. Hmm. Um, we had been told that we would get a rousing uh, welcome when, when, we, when we hit the states, but being Easter Sunday morning, I guess. The patriotic were also the faithful over at church, so uh, well, as soon as we, they let us leave to go back to Fort Hood while we got on the plane, and uh, we didn't... I don't seems to me we didn't get to Fort Hood until somewhere around midnight.
1: Wow. That was one long day, or two days.
2: Yeah, it was probably at least 36 hours of travel um, in a loud sardine can. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It was well worth the trip, though.
1: uh, I I started to say, would you have uh, stopped it anywhere and and said, let me off?
2: No. I don't I had to walk back if it was possible and they let me
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I I bet you were surrounded by others that felt the same way
2: yeah yeah we were uh, we were all pretty anxious to get out of there but in fact uh, we were well, it was probably my first thought when the airplane door opened uh, when we first landed in Saudi Arabia it was when can I leave here <laughs>
1: It was such beautiful territory,
2: huh? Well, you know, in Saudi Arabia, there's a pretty girl behind every tree.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And how many trees are there? Precious few. (laughs) Precious few. Well, I assume your family was uh, keeping up with you as you were traveling and waiting for you to get home, huh?
2: Yeah. Well, we got back uh, the... uh, the family members uh, had uh, decorated our hangar, and they were all waiting in the hangar for us. Uh, we drove up uh, the taxiway on a bus and got off, formed up, uh, and I presented our party to the uh, to the uh, brigade commander, who uh, didn't get to go to the war. And he was a little put out about that, but, uh, so I presented it and he dismissed us. And then, you know, the big run toward our family members and then toward us. Uh, it was, it was very, very
1: gratifying to be home. Oh, I, I can imagine. And yet I can't imagine either since I haven't been there and done that, but, uh, we're thankful oh, that you got back safely. and
2: I think you get a pretty good idea. We were just elated, you know, to be home. And uh, I was very glad that we hadn't lost uh, any of the troops that we went over there with. So uh, I was very pleased to be
1: able to present them
2: all back to their loved
1: ones. That That is touching in itself. And yeah. That's fantastic, because you you had a heck of a job over there, uh, flying did. the Mohawks. And,
2: and, yeah, and, uh, you know, even the folks that, that didn't fly on the missions with us, you know, we, we regularly uh, got these uh, air raid alerts that, you know, scud missiles were coming in our direction, so we had to run into our little shelters that we had. My shelter was pretty much a, a storm drain that had been built in this parking lot that wasn't quite finished. Hmm. Uh, but uh you know some there was a there was a Scud missile hit about a half a mile from us at one point. That, uh,
1: that's close enough.
2: Yeah, you know, we were able to hear it and uh it was uh You know, I think it's the guys uh, that manned the Patriot missile. They said that our uh, our early warning detection was good enough so that when the uh, we would get notification as soon as the uh, the gyros started spinning up in the Scud missile launchers. I guess you know it's a Soviet weapon system, probably pretty crude and. I guess there was some sort of signature that the gyros made when they spun up for their navigation or targeting system or whatever it was. And uh, that was what they told us, you know, that they knew that a launch was coming as soon as, the, uh, as, soon as they got an indication that they'd energized their gyros.
1: So did the uh, how did the uh, Patriots do? In in fact, let's uh, let's get to that when we come back. We're going to take a break right quick and we'll be back on America's Web Radio and remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. We'll be right back.
2: Hello. My name is Colonel Rick White, a United States Army veteran, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I would like to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. If you are a Georgia veteran, and the Georgia veteran's definition is you are either born in the state, or you lived in the state ten years, or you raised your right hand and joined the military in the state of Georgia, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to your website at www.gmvhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. Nominations need to be in by the last Friday in August each year. Again. If you're a Georgia veteran or you're a friend or family member of the Georgia veteran, living or deceased, please consider nominating that veteran to this highly noble and rare Hall of Fame for our great state. Thank you so much.
1: And I want to add to uh, what Colonel White was just saying. And this Saturday, because of the uh, virus, they had to postpone the induction ceremony. And the class of 2020 will be inducted this Saturday, April the 3rd at Newtown Park in Johns Creek, Georgia, at the Healing Wall in their pavilion, and everyone's invited. You have to bring your own Kleenex, though. That's that's uh, the one thing that Rick always says, bring your own Kleenex. But it's a, it's a very moving ceremony, and it's respect. The Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and that describes it better than I could, and uh, we invite everybody to come out. It starts at 2 o'clock. If you're going to want to park, you better get there a bit early. And also, bring your own lawn chair. We're not furnishing lawn chairs, but bring your own lawn chair, and uh, it will be a very moving ceremony, and everyone's invited. And then we also invite you to go down to the their location downtown, across the street from the Capitol, at the uh, Floyd building. And... It's very interesting to walk through, look at the pictures of these men and women that uh, have served in our military at one time or the other. So let's get back to Phil and talking about, I'd ask the question, how, how accurate were the Patriots by the time, you know, they'd gone through several battles or several wars at this point. How accurate were they with knocking out scuds?
2: Uh, I never quite saw them take out a, a missile, but uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, I had heard that uh, part of the effectiveness of the whole system was that it, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the demoralizing effect that it had on the uh, Iraqis that... Uh, we had a system that would make us uh, basically bulletproof to their missiles. Whether or not that was true, I don't know. Very, very crude system. Uh, you know, it's not. It doesn't get any. Uh, I guess it's a true ballistic missile. You know, they, they, you set it up, and it, it doesn't have any kind of guidance to it. Where you shoot it, it determines where it lands. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's a big country, sparsely populated, and. It, you know, it didn't have a very good uh, radius or, of uh, probability when you fired it. Uh, Atmospheric-conditioned winds and such would, would move it around. And You know, about the best you could do is uh, fire to a, a major population area. Uh, the, the one that had the most effect, of course, is one that, uh, that that landed in uh, uh, Dahran. And uh, it was a warehouse where uh, some uh, Army Reserve units had set up, and uh, it got hit. A number of people got killed in that. Uh, But uh, we also sent, if you'll recall, we also sent some of our Patriot missiles over to Israel. Uh, Saddam thought he was going to uh, mess up our coalition with our um, partners, uh, the uh, Arab partners that were part of the coalition, uh, by drawing Israel into the conflict. And, uh, in a great, uh, act of diplomacy, our state department was able to convince, uh, Israel not to enter the fight, even though they'd been attacked. Uh, so that made that sort of a non-issue. And, uh, but the Patriots were good and we were sure glad to have them, um, because we had photographic equipment on our mohawks, uh, part of the equipment we had was a, uh, was a van that uh, was like a, uh, a darkroom kind of van. And uh, to in order to service it, it had a great need for uh, water. And so we had a water truck. We didn't do very much photo missions while we were over there. So uh, our water truck was sort of underemployed, but, we used to uh, use it to go fill up our uh, the water in our little portable water heaters that uh, powered our showers, and uh, just to make sure that the that the Patriot missile guys were alert and fresh, we always <laughs> uh, drove our water truck over to the Patriot missile battery and uh, made sure we filled up their showers too.
1: Well, that was mighty kind of you.
2: That <laughs> well, was a little
1: selfish. <laughs> no, you know, I, I think uh, it's sort of a a matter of um, filling filling a necessity. Yeah.
2: Well, we uh, we did appreciate those guys.
1: How how often would a, a truck like that come in?
2: A water truck? Yeah. It was part of our equipment.
1: Oh, okay. So
2: so, so we would. Uh, We would take that and and bring it over to some central point and just fill it up. I think it probably held about 2,500 gallons of water. Um, And then, you know, it had an onboard pump. You know, we could pump it out. Uh, But, you know, when they they design a system, like this photographic system on the airplane, they have to, you know, come up with all the equipment that supports it. So that was part of ours even though we didn't do photo missions over there. We did a couple. Uh, Most of it was uh, for, uh, like we did, I can remember we did one photo mission where we took aerial photographs of the hospital, and then we uh, just did that in order to present the commander of the hospital with this Hmm. souvenir photograph. We called those happy snaps.
1: Everything has a, an acronym, right? And or some kind of a some kind of a name to attach to it. Oh yeah. yeah. But I I think that's neat. Uh and again, you know, I was talking with well, I was talking to Rick as a matter what uh, matter of fact, Rick quite, and uh, we were talking about the fact that every show we do, and particularly the veteran shows, you always learn something. And uh, I just learned something just then about the happy snap. You know, uh, I hadn't heard that term. But
2: well, you know, it's when we use the airplane to go take photographs. Uh, you know, kind of for goodwill or whatever. We call those the happy snaps, and instead of using it to go and you know gather intelligence, which is you know it's real design. Right. But we did have a capability that you know. Most folks didn't have. Take care of the photographs. I guess uh, these days they have unmanned aircraft doing all that stuff instead of uh, black and white piece of paper. You know they give uh, live video feed in uh, digital format. Right.
1: So, well, it couldn't be
2: as good because doesn't have a pilot to it. <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true. So did uh, the recipients of the Happy Snaps, were they as pleased to get them as you were in taking them?
2: Oh, yeah. They were thrilled. They were thrilled. Uh, You know, I mean, you come back. You know what? I'll tell you this. uh, I maybe have one or two rolls of film of, you know, photographs I took over there. And uh, I probably lost them all. Uh, that one photograph you have of me with my airplane—that's uh, that was actually uh, emailed to me by a friend of mine uh, who had served with me over there. I guess he had taken the photograph and he he scanned it into a digital format and sent it. So it's funny that a guy that you know flew a imagery collection airplane come back from his tour and didn't have many photographs and really didn't uh, didn't uh, and I I lost probably most of the ones I had.
1: Well, you know, when you're uh, packing the duffel bag to go home, you know, first things first. Well, uh,
2: we used to say if you'll give me an hour to pack to leave here, I'll give you fifty nine minutes change. <laughs> I didn't bring anything here that I'm not willing
1: to leave. Yep. Uh, I I can just imagine uh, just just the thought of. I'm going to be home in 36 hours. I'm going to be home in 24 hours or whatever the, whatever the schedule was, you know, had to just, you know, and, and you were in combat. Whereas, you know, I, I can't relate to that nor would I try. But, you know, everybody that, whether it was Nam or the Middle East or wherever it was, um, just to know that I'm going home and I'll be safe and in the near future I'll be in my bed at home and uh, that just that has to be a feeling that's that's the only thought on your mind for about 24 hours and you know there used to be or probably more than that once you got the orders but you know that's called being short isn't it
2: yes yes and uh, I can recall you talk about, you know, being home in your own bed and all. I, I, I can recall that I had explicit instructions for my wife that when I got home, I was to have uh, a crispy roast pork and uh, some ice cold beer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she had it all figured yeah. out, huh?
2: Yeah. Uh, and she had it all ready. It was probably one of the best meals I ever had.
1: Oh, I can imagine. And the best part of it was uh, seeing her.
2: And yeah, and being home.
1: Ah. Oh, yeah,
2: being home. It was know, wonderful.
1: I, you know, it's something that, like we talk about it all the time, and in fact, we are got to take a break, and we'll get back to it as soon as we get back, and uh We're with Lieutenant Colonel Retired, Phil Forsberg, and we appreciate everything Phil has to say and the time that he spent protecting us in the military. We'll be back right after this.
0: If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com.
1: This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com, and we'll get back to you. Thank you.
0: Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from lawyers to citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriors2citizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the com. Thank you for listening.
1: And the show that you're listening to is... Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And for those of you that don't remember it, uh, this was our answer to Saddam Hussein who invaded Kuwait. And um, we have Lieutenant Colonel Phil Forsberg on that uh, served in that area and was a Mohawk pilot, which is an observation plane and an intel plane. And... Um, Thankfully, Phil made it through basically unscathed. Correct, Phil? Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you know, this might be a good time for me to point out, uh, David, that there are—you uh, know—you you think you come back unscathed, but uh, there are things that develop, and you and you discover certain uh, things that you've been exposed to uh, and uh, and the deleterious effects that they have on your health. Uh, you know, the Veterans Administration has a registry for uh, Gulf War veterans to, uh, to sign up and, and be part of this uh, group. Now, we all know that uh, the VA has come up with certain uh, illnesses that are presumptive, to have been caused by Agent Orange for those folks during the Vietnam era that had been exposed to it. And uh, what they're doing, they're trying to do a database uh, of Gulf War veterans to uh, study and and see what sort of uh, uh, common uh, conditions that they might have. They have a few they've come up with. get an explanation what that was for. They told me they couldn't tell me because it was classified. Um, We had uh, burn pits where we burned uh, uh, some of our refuse uh, and some of that stuff was pretty toxic, uh, including human waste. doing the burn pits uh, registry for folks who served uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan in the more recent conflicts there and, uh, so if, uh, if any of the veterans here have been exposed to those things you need to go on and, and register uh, with the VA so they can uh, have a, a better database of the different health concerns that may have been caused by that
1: you know, this is something. Uh, what you're talking about is really something different from ex- the, the the veterans from Vietnam experience. They they sort of had to fight their way through uh, unknown territory to get get to get attention for their problems and for what was happening. But uh, at least the VA has changed considerably, and. Reach out to the veterans instead of the veterans having to reach the VA, and uh, that's the way it should be.
2: You know, I, I agree with you, David, and I think the the reason the change in uh, in mindset was that uh, you see during Vietnam we had conscription. Now, uh, in World War II, you've heard me cite this before, but seventy percent. Uh, the troops that served in World War II were drafted, and by the time we got to Vietnam, only 30% were drafted. But they still had the draft. They could get the manpower they need by, uh, by conscription. But uh, today, we, uh, we don't have the draft. We have an all-volunteer force, and it's quite good. And uh, But if you're not going to uh, deal with the problems that you've caused, to these veterans, then, uh, you're going to find that, uh, uh, a lot fewer folks are going to be, uh, interested in volunteering. Uh, so they look and watch very carefully to see what kind of treatment the veterans get, uh, uh, before they raise their hands these days. And so it's, it's just, you know, the economy of things that, you know, if you if you want people to volunteer, you got to, number one, pay them what you what's the going rate. What's going to fill the ranks, and then and then you've got to also treat them properly.
1: Amen. And uh, it was it was time that the uh, that the military, our Congress and government realized that they were in a competitive field and uh i'm i'm personally like you are as far as the uh, volunteer military goes i think it was one of the best moves that's ever been made because you know that somebody that raises their hand and puts their body in harm's way for their government for their country loves their country and um I think that's a common bond of the military today. That, in many ways, back when it was a, a draft situation, that uh, you know, when you're forced to do something, that's a whole lot different than when you choose to do something.
2: Absolutely. And uh, you know, we we didn't have anybody that went with me to Desert Storm, and that um, had been drafted. And uh we had very high quality troops I felt uh, with you know the conspicuous uh, exception of myself they were all pretty good
1: <laughs> i I wouldn't agree with that at all and I'd, I'd say <laughs> yeah you, you're the leader of the pack and and you know let me ask you something if okay as you were traveling and, and again I was not an officer so I can't I can't picture the situation, but uh, we all know, and and I've kiddingly asked you this before, uh, about can you name one veteran that can tell one story? Well, let's back it up. Can you name, I would imagine that everybody as they were going to Iraq, well, Phil, why did you decide to join up? Well, David, why did you decide to join it? you know? I bet that was going on constantly, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, you know, I I, I signed up uh, to uh, through the ROTC program because they paid for my college. I paid them back over several years. I can't recall, you know, another student uh, during college, he... Uh, and the kids, he said to me well you're uh, you're going to college for free I said well huh. why don't you do it he said well I don't want to go in the army I said well uh, it's not exactly for you you
1: know that side of our world or that side of that person's brain doesn't work like someone <laughs> that volunteers brain works
2: and, uh, well you know then, then he can pay the taxes that it takes to pay for a quality force to protect him.
1: Yep. Or I should I shouldn't say yep. I should say yes, sir. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> well, uh, I don't stand on ceremony.
1: It's uh it's just a whole different thing. And and uh, like the we run an ad for the army, but I I encourage any student that's uh, graduating from high school or is graduating from college and they haven't decided what they want to do with their lives I guarantee them that one of the branches of the military can offer them a lifelong happiness and career and uh, all they have to do is do a little work searching for it but Phil I, I hate to say this but there's a lot of noise on your end all right. Well, let's I'm see if
2: I mitigate
1: that. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, it's much better now. Uh, but you know, the military isn't for everybody, but in the same token, it is for everybody, and there's a place for everybody in the military. They just have to find it.
2: Yeah um and they uh, you know I mean some some folks don't meet the uh, the medical standards uh, or other standards they might have uh, physical uh, standards uh, you know they can be quite discriminating uh, used to be you uh, couldn't go to flight school if you uh, needed glasses. Uh, now, once they made the investment in you and your eyesight started to deteriorate with age, and they would, uh, you could wear glasses all day long. But, uh, you know, they wanted you to have perfect vision from the start. And these days, uh, they'll actually accept folks for, uh, for pilot slots uh, that have had the uh, la- laser surgery to, to uh, correct whatever defect they might have had in their vision a far cry from what it was
1: well you know the the one thing and i I think i've mentioned this before and and uh you know it's almost like every day i gain more and more respect for the military all branches of the military and that they've been practicing this for what 240 years and yeah. I don't know we'll that, right eventually. I, well, I don't know if there is any right. I think it, it's more <laughs> like they have to adjust to uh, the circumstance, you know. But they yeah. they have found ways to adjust, just like with water trucks, you know. And uh, sure, It it's amazing the uh, what is the saying? Uh, need is the mother of. <laughs>
2: Necessity out out. is the mother of invention.
1: Yeah. And uh, sure. so you figure out a way to take a shower. You figure out a way to uh, uh, warm that can of C's or whatever it happens to be. Or Well, you, you all were very much more MREs and uh, uh, more sophisticated than uh, the old sea rations. But, yeah.
2: So no, we didn't eat from cans. We ate from... Bags, and well, plastic bags.
1: <laughs> but you know, and and uh, it just—I guess it's evolution in war, right? Sure.
2: And you know, something we've always struggled with since uh, since probably right after the Revolution uh, for our independence was uh, the, the the fact that you know we don't know what what the next conflict is going to be, so we always would. Uh, Trained to fight the war we just finished. All right, uh, I can recall in the late '70s, early '80s, uh, coming in through uh, ROTC. You know, everything was uh, was, you know, patrolling and and all the skills that were necessary in Vietnam. And uh, of course, that was that, right? Now we did we did make a lot of effort in the in the '80s. Uh, well, we got Ronnie Reagan as uh, our commander-in-chief to, uh, to prepare for actually a, uh, a, a European war with the Soviet Union coming across through the Foldy Gap. and uh, But uh, thankfully, that never
1: materialized. All right. With that, we're going to let people think about it for a minute. We're going to take a break, our last break, and we'll be back with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil... some terrible mistakes back in the uh, 60s and had little or no use for conscientious objectors. And yet, many of them are the heroes of Vietnam and the heroes of, of other wars that, uh, no, they didn't want to carry a weapon, but they would turn out to be medics or primarily medics, and uh, many of them put their necks on the line like everybody else, and they saved many, many lives. So I want to always remember the medics and uh, the conscientious objectors that wound up really serving. And then also the the families, the the fathers and mothers that are left behind or the children that are left behind while one of the parents goes and is deployed, and they... They fought their they fought their own war while their husbands or wives were out of the country, and uh, we have to honor them as much as we do those that actually uh, carried the weapons and were in country. There's a you know, and on this this has affected many many lives that folks don't realize, particularly in the reserves. When uh, people join the reserves, they at one point didn't really really figure they would be called up but they could be and certainly with um, the Desert Shield and Desert Storm many many reserve units have been called up and are still being used as a matter of fact so and that's quite a shock to uh, the rest of the family so we, uh, we always pray for them and we always mention them and uh, other other folks that I always mention and I guess because uh, uh, they're incredible the uh, dust off pilots that flew the Hueys into places that looked like and probably were something worse than hell but they would fly any place to save a brother or a sister so back to you Phil
2: yeah uh, you know, when you talk about conscientious objector, what what comes to mind uh, to me is that uh, is the movie Hacksaw Ridge, and, uh, and you know, of course, it takes place during World War II on the uh, <clears throat> island of Okinawa, but uh, it's based on a uh, true story, and uh, just fantastic. Uh, I, I don't. If you hadn't seen it, you really need to.
1: And. Um. As I recall, he was a conscientious objector, right? He
2: certainly was, yeah. Of course, uh, there was a guy from Tennessee by the name of Alvin York that went to World War I as a conscientious objector.
1: Sergeant York?
2: Yeah, Sergeant York. He was a pacifist. I think his family were Quakers or something. Uh, But he was conscripted, and he went, and... uh, he uh, acquitted himself quite well.
1: Well, you know, it's sort of... It's not what's on the outside as much as what's on the inside. And uh, and uh, just like you know very well, it's... Uh, when you're in the situation and you were alone most of the time, other than your right seat was there once in a while, but, yeah. you know, at the same token... Everybody has everybody else's back, you know, and you depend on the person behind you as the person in front of you depends on you. And uh, I think that's true in all branches, even in the Air Force, is that, uh, uh, what what do you call a jet? Uh, fast, Fast flight or something, but anyway. Fast movers? yeah fast movers and but you're counting on them because they got your back as well as the We we've had a couple of interviews with a a tanker pilot and uh that's carrying around a big bomb and uh, you know they have uh, fighter protection and you know and, and again that's that's one pilot protecting uh, take you know Having the other pilots back, and it, it's sure. all now you, you know how you pronounce it, you know. I may have
2: been uh, alone uh, in the cockpit except for my enlisted right seater, but uh, I was not alone on the battlefield. Uh, there was a AWACS looking after me. There was combat uh, air patrol looking after me. Um, I think I remember telling you the story of the the British Tornado that uh, turned back an Iraqi fighter that was uh, headed straight for me. Um, So,
1: yeah.
2: uh, You know, that's what the armed forces are. They're they're all supporting each other toward a common goal.
1: Let me ask, in in your history knowledge, has there ever been anything like the American military?
2: (laughs) I hadn't seen it. Uh, often imitated never duplicated I'd say
1: I, uh, that's very good yes sir I, I uh, you know it, there's just a uh, and and like I said earlier I, I uh, look back on what I was in and, and why in the world are we doing this but almost everything in any branch there's a reason for it you may not understand it at the time but somebody's been there, done that, and said, this is the best way to do it. This is the best way to get unity. This is the best way to get camaraderie. This is the best way to whatever. And it's been tried and tested, and, and uh, I guess maybe it's the, just the American attitude.
2: Well, you know, traditions die hard. Uh, in, the, in the Army and the Marine Corps, you're not allowed to carry an umbrella and uniform. Uh, in the Air Force and the Navy they are, and uh, the Marines won't change because they don't want to seem any less manly than the Army. But the Army's uh, justification for that is is a little different. It's a safety thing. Uh, the Army discovered many years ago that uh, umbrellas have a tendency to uh, panic the horses. and so that's why to this day, soldiers aren't allowed to carry umbrellas in uniform.
1: And those ponchos can really get hot and sweaty, like a steam bath. Yeah, but I
2: often did want an umbrella.
1: But- <laughs> no, I, I couldn't. I can't say that I. I'm. I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, versed in umbrella usage. I get soaking wet trying to fold a thing, getting in the car, you know. But that's you know, and that brings up something that that. Uh, you know they will. There will be uh, shows and so forth and so on on the tomb of the unknown soldier. But the the troops that do that, I just I have all the respect in the world. And you you ain't never going to see one of them with an umbrella either. You know, and uh, it may be pouring down rain, but they they do their duty.
2: Well, David, I want to thank you for the opportunity to, to join you today oh, yeah. and to have this show.
1: Well, thank you for being on. And, uh, uh, you know, I know where you're going. I hope that all turns out well. So, Phil, thank you. And uh, you want to do it again next week? Sure. Let's plan on that. Okay. Take care of yourself. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Hi. This is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran.
1: and i want to thank uh phil forsberg for being on and uh, continuing to do our show on remembering desert shield and desert storm and if you don't then look it up that it's a sin if you don't remember those those wars the iraqi war this was when iraq invaded kuwait and uh we answered the call and Decisively defeated Saddam Hussein. Decisively. Um, the other thing I want to mention, too, and, and bring back up and invite everyone that's listening to the induction of our 2020 class in the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. It will be this Saturday at Johns Creek, in Johns Creek, at the Newtown Park, and in the pavilion that's there at the uh, healing wall. And if you haven't been to that, that's the structure that is toured all over the United States. It's a replica 50% size of the Vietnam veteran wall that's in Washington, D.C. And by the way, we found out that uh, the... uh, Desert Storm and Desert Shield, they're going to have a memorial in D.C. as well. And uh, they should do get, have groundbreaking within the next few weeks or months. And uh, we'll keep you posted on that. But we do want to just remind everybody, honor our veterans. If you see someone in uniform in the airport, buy them a dinner, buy them a cup of coffee, drink, whatever. And the same way with our first responders They do one heck of a job for us, and we should always honor them. So with that being said, we're going to start getting out of here and uh, let you go about your business for the day, and we appreciate you listening to America's Web Radio.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.